Chapter 11, The Measure of Truth. The opening quote for this chapter is from the Gospel of Thomas 91. They said to him, Tell us who you are so that we may believe in you. He, Jesus, said to them, You examine the face of heaven and earth, but you have not come to know the one who is in your presence, and you do not know how to examine the present moment. I returned to my couch with the intention to search for the truth I hoped lay hidden within the word responsibility, apart from the conventions it had inherited from our culture. I start with the fact that as a concept, it's dependent on other thoughts and therefore also an operator that I had used to make meaning in my life. In an attempt to discover its truth, I searched my education as a student of philosophy, a teacher of meditation, and also the language of our culture for clues. For me, it had always conveyed a sense of burden, duty, and obligation, especially when someone reminded me that I had responsibilities. But given what was at stake, I was beginning to think that there must be another meaning that I had overlooked. Now, you might ask why I suspected there was something missing in my understanding of the word. The only answer I can give is that there was a sense of being bound or burdened when reminded of my responsibilities, even if I was the one doing the reminding. That right there was proof that I had misunderstood its meaning, even though I might not yet know where or how I had done so. To sort this out, I started with the fact that concepts like responsibility are composed of linguistic roots that come together to structure meaning. Thinking that it might be useful to understand what they were actually telling me, I became a layman's etymologist. I began to explore the overlooked inner significance of language to see how everyday words have been sacrificed upon the altar of cultural distortion. By doing this, I began to see how many words had gained power through our collective misuse and seldom expressed their true meaning. Truth be told, we have very little understanding today about what our words actually mean, and having previously decided that truth is accessible everywhere, it should be present in this word too, or in any other for that matter. And if it could not be found, well then life's a crapshoot, and what's the point anyway? The meaning of our lives would be nothing more than one big meandering mistake. But living a meaningless life? just didn't feel true to me, mostly because it didn't feel freeing. Having previously heard how the truth shall set you free, I just had to figure out how it all worked. So I began to break apart the word responsibility, looking for the truth in its construction. I discovered response and ability refers to the ability to repeatedly sponsor something. That's all that it means, an ability to sponsor something, not to own, but to host. Like when you host a party or an event and people show up and move through the venue. In this sense, sponsoring is nothing more than holding a space for an event to take place. When viewed from the perspective of the present moment, being responsible becomes the description of the relationship we have with what is passing through our container or place of experience. This means if we experience love, pride, fatigue, sorrow, or joy, then our responsibility refers to the ability to notice, acknowledge, and accept that it's there. It has nothing to do with promoting, judging, resisting, or labeling. It just means that something has come to mind. Like when a guest comes to the front door of our house, being the good host, we grant them entry, introduce them around, and maintain a hospitable environment for everyone. I realize this may seem to be a radical departure from our conventions of what it means to be a responsible person, but all I have done is shift our attention from the concept of responsibility to the practice of sponsoring fully. With this interpretation, not only does the burden depart, 
but we also become inspired in our capacity to notice, acknowledge, and accept everything that shows up without exception, condition, or compulsion. What happens next is another matter that also has nothing to do with our cultural notions of responsibility. The key is to maintain a gracious environment for what has already arrived at the doorstep by granting a respectful entrance, for we are the place for everything. Could this be what the wise meant when they counseled us to know ourselves? For in being who we are, we alone are the doorkeepers that stand at the threshold of our experience. We are the sovereign authority over that place where everything that brings significance to our lives gains entrance. Emboldened by the fact that I alone am responsible for making meaning in my life, I continue to search for other words that had previously imprisoned me due to my lack of understanding. By considering the truth of everything, on the basis of the present moment, I embarked on a process of dismantling the underpinnings of everything that had sustained my ideas about myself and my world. In my mind, doing this was putting everything at risk, even my hopes of becoming enlightened. But was I willing to continue absent any certainty that I would survive in a manner that was acceptable to my wife, children, society, or myself? Yes. If I wanted to be really free, then yes. So without knowing where I would end up, I choose to be responsible moment to moment by cultivating an ability to consciously accept whatever showed up in my experience like a visitor to my house, or as Rumi so eloquently said in his poem, The Guest House. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still, treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. When I first learned what it meant to accept something, it had the quality of giving in or resignation that in order to be accepting, I had to give something up, and this made me feel as if I were wrong. This was a huge problem for me because I always proceeded from the perspective that I needed to be right in order to be safe, which also meant that others had to be wrong. By the structure of my own rules, if I allowed another to be right, I became wrong and therefore unsafe. So if I accepted anything, regardless of what it was about, the mere act of doing so felt as if something was being taken from me. Maybe it was my sense of control, self-esteem, or opinion, but whenever confronted by the need to accept another's logic, point of view, opinion, or rules, I would only do so begrudgingly. At this point, there was no way to sidestep the need to accept everything that showed up at my doorstep, and there was no way to do so without relinquishing the meanings I had attached to them. I needed to accept everything without condition if I wanted to end up with a reliable method to discern true paths from false ones. But wanting a thing and having it are two different animals. I still had no money for food, utilities, or the mortgage payment. I had no way to pay for our daughter's tuition at school, our car payment, and you can forget about auto, health, or life insurance. Everything I relied upon to support and guide me had failed, leaving me with the need to accept the very real and pressing circumstances of my life, including the shame and humiliation I felt. Becoming ever more aware of what was moving through my place at the present moment, I was painfully self-conscious of the paranoia I felt in assuming others knew the trouble I was in. But how could they, when I had told almost no one? Even so, 
whether at the bank, on the way to group meditation, or walking down the street, I continue to look into the eyes of others seeking validation while believing I deserve none. Even the casual laughs, stares, and snickers of others became evidence that they knew what a failure I was. In spite of all of this, my only recourse was to accept what was going on, which always left me with a sense of freedom. Conversely, whenever I resisted, I experienced the binding sensation. This time, when I looked at what it meant to accept, the quality of submission no longer felt true because acceptance had nothing to do with losing and everything to do with receiving. Like responsibility, this word had gotten a bad rap, misunderstood for what it was. Consequently, many think that when they accept something, they are agreeing with or condoning it in some way, but this is not the case. Like all thoughts, acceptance is an operator that does work for us, its job being to reveal true guidance. How this works depends on how well we have consciously accepted what comes, and never with what the topic of acceptance is about. The true practice of acceptance, then, is this. We are acknowledging we have received something that has already arrived. It has nothing to do with chasing, taking, evaluating, manipulating, or judging. So when we accept correctly, we know we have done so by the feeling that something has been freed up, which before felt constrictive. Conversely, when we resist, we feel burdened and bound up in some way, and it is this sense of feeling free or bound, no matter how faint or subtle, that reveals the guidance hidden in plain sight. We can always trust our feelings to measure our truth, which we will always find hidden behind the next thing that we resist. In committing ourselves to accept, we will find it is the only way to safely navigate the landmines of our mind. Why is acceptance so important in all of this? When we accept, what we are actually doing is consciously receiving the gift that the guest represents, which has already arrived at our door. And this is absolutely necessary if we are to forgive, because forgiveness, which is another word that is mostly misunderstood, is for each of us to give to ourselves the gift that has already arrived. And what is it that we may give ourselves that no other can? It is the self-arising content of our experience. In this way, learning to consciously accept is the first step to our ability to forgive, so that when fully gotten, we are able to truly forgive and forget. When we consciously accept, we notice, which refers to observing the gift given, we acknowledge, which refers to admitting the existence of the gift, and we accept, which refers to receiving the gift. To forestall foreclosure on our home, we filed a Chapter 7 to dissolve the debts we can and a Chapter 13 to rearrange the remaining ones for payment. We reaffirm the loans on our house and car and complete the bankruptcy late in 1987. Throughout all of this, I continue to practice accepting the content of each moment until some stillness is found. I think to myself, why fight what is coming up inside of me? After all, it's already present. If not, I would not have noticed, so there's no sense in denying and certainly no sense in trying to ignore it. Instead, I accept whatever comes next. Each time I find peace, silence, and stillness at the end of every impulse to such an extent that I start to view them as the opportunity to convert the content of every moment into stillness. Somehow, doing this leads me to realize that not only could every impulse be resolved to silence, but silence was the source of them. I was not the source of my thinking, feeling, and sensing, the silence was. I was just the container. To test this insight, I returned to my couch like the scientist would to his laboratory and with eyes closed, 
would observe my breath as it moved in and out of my lungs. I did this to become as physically and mentally still as I could through observing the rising and falling of my chest and the sensations that were naturally occurring. An instant later, I'd find myself on a thought. Somehow my attention had shifted from observing my breath, leaving no clue about its point of departure. When did it shift? I would start again and before long was thinking about something else. I wonder aloud, why can't you just pay attention to your breath? So I start once again until I find myself on the next thought. Again, I ask myself, how is this happening? And where is the point of transition from watching my breath and the next thought? I keep at this for several hours even until it becomes obvious that not only am I not the source of my thoughts and feelings, but I'm not in control of them either. For certain, I'm responsible for the content of my experience, but all of it is coming and going of its own accord. I had assumed that I was the author of my life and never considered otherwise. Now I knew that I was not. How had I overlooked this? Probably because when younger, I became attached to the idea that I was my thoughts, emotions, and body, and only now was seeing why it had never been true. Sure, I still had them, but they no longer gave meaning or defined me. I was the one who gave meaning to them on the basis of how I accepted them as they moved through me, but I was only the place.